0: This is Give Me Some Truth, a podcast from Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. Give Me Some Truth is dedicated to providing an accessible and authentic view into the financial services industry, as well as current events and investment concepts that you can apply in your day to day life.
1: You've got to leave your money
2: behind you. Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. We are here today to talk about the first half of 2019 and to do a little recap of what happened. And even uh, as much as we uh, hate the idea of you know being prognosticators, we will give some of our thoughts in terms of what we think may happen the remainder of the year and even into 2020. So we thought it'd be fun to hear from all of the uh, people we have in the office. And so we've broken this up into four different sections. We're going to do domestic markets, international markets, uh, legislative and political, uh, just to try to give people as much of a well-rounded view of, uh, of our thoughts on the first half of, uh, of 19 and, and potentially the second half as well. Um, but also to help to answer some questions that, that we've had in, in uh, meetings recently from people um, as to how these four topics kind of Work together. Uh, you know, how can the market be doing well when the legislative um, environment is doing this or the political environment is doing that? Uh, so, that was really the idea behind this. So, uh, you're going to hear from all of us. And in the booth first, I have uh, Clint Walkner, and he is going to tackle the domestic markets uh, side of this. Hello, Nate. How are
3: you doing today? I am doing well. Thank you very much for being our proctor or, or <laughs> our. <laughs> It's a weird title to, <laughs> to assign to that person. It's
2: such a funny like. It's, it's accurate, master but it's ceremonies. really weird. I don't really know. Uh, I'll, I'll, okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm more on board with Master of Ceremonies. let we let's we'll stick with that. If if for no other reason than it sounds official. So, um, okay, so let's jump into it. Um, to start, Clint, give us a recap of how the domestic markets have performed
3: uh, for the first half of 19. Well, I think to uh, go through the first half of 19, we've got to review the last a little half of 2018. And that is that the economic environment kind of deteriorated quickly towards the end of the year. And we ended up having a negative year in the stock market in 2018. And we almost approached bear market territory. And it was really due to a really bad December. Uh, So the stock market corrected down. And when I first did the uh, market commentary for the beginning of the year? we talked about valuations and how valuations were uh, a bit suppressed uh, because of the overselling that happened and so what happened then in two thousand and nineteen and i 'm not calling myself a prognosticator i 'm just saying that 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 's what I said and then uh, the stock market has since rebounded back and so it 's been a really solid uh, first half of the year the economic growth numbers are solid, and we've, we can talk through those, but also the equity returns, uh, the stock market returns have been very positive. And it's really been across the board. Uh, the large cap mid cap and small cap markets all are up double digits and you know depending on where you're looking somewhere between you know maybe 17 and and uh 21 depending on what sort of size of the market you know whether it's a small cap stock or a large cap stock but you know largely very positive returns there and then in the bond market we've also seen a rebound in uh bond markets as well and so we've seen positive uh you know Small, small growth. You know, you have seen uh, single-digit growth, uh, but uh, back to better growth rates in those sorts of asset classes as well. And again, that was due to really uh, what happened in 2018, and then a rebound in 2019. So 2018, we saw an interest rate increase across the board, and now we've seen rates falling, uh, kind of just as quickly as they were were raised up. And so that's a very positive thing for bonds. So when bond Uh, You know, when basically when interest rates go up, bond prices fall and the inverse is true. And so this year uh, we've seen interest rates fall and bond prices rise. So you touched
2: on the the kind of the surge, if you will, in the first half of 19. Um, What do you think is the main reason for that? And then again, not to get too deep into the prognostication world, but do you think that that's something that persists um, through the end of 19?
3: Well, I think it's a great great question and and it comes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yes. Uh, Well, I I think that's a great question because, you know, it all comes down to valuations. And so at the beginning of the year, valuations were telling us that the stock market was oversold. Uh, It was a piling on kind of at that end of the year in 2018. And then in 2019, we've seen uh, the Fed... Uh, talk about lowering interest rates. That hasn't quite happened yet, but they've paused on their interest rate increases, which is seen as being more stimulative towards companies. Right now, we stand at a valuation uh, as of uh, June 30th. The valuation, the forward price earnings ratio is 16.74. And to put that into context the 25-year average is about 16.19. So, you know, and then the high sides being, you know, 19.4 and the low side being at, at 12.99. Those are one standard deviation away. All of that says that we are pretty fairly valued right now, if not ever so slightly overvalued. So if we're looking at the back half of 2019, what we have to see is for stock the stock market to appreciate appreciably we're going to have to see uh earnings increase at a rate greater than they are at currently uh so you know right now if the earnings stay where they're kind of forecasted to be at we won't see a lot of stock market growth growth if they come in worse we'll see this the, the stock market slide back a little bit and i wouldn't be i wouldn't be shocked if it did pull back a little bit uh here and there uh i'd be I'd be surprised if we would see it pull back all the way to zero. Uh, I think that, you know, there's a lot of positive economic stories right now, and I, I don't foresee that necessarily happening.
2: All right. In the in the last uh, minute or two that we have here, uh, again, we're going to try to be uh, cognizant of time because we're, we're trying to fit, you know, four different topics in. So we'll, we'll end on this. Um, in your opinion, which of the following will have the biggest impact on the domestic markets for the remainder of the year? Do you think it's going to be changes to interest rates? Corporate earnings
3: or the uh, trade deal slash trade wars that we have going on right now. Well, I'd say all those will be drivers towards uh, equity returns. uh, You know, either the positive or the negative. The biggest impact I think that people are looking at seeing the biggest impact will be felt by whether or not the Fed actually lowers interest rates. And I think this is one of the keys here. The yield curve right now is inverted. And that means that short-term rates are actually higher right now than long-term rates. And so it's it's an anomaly. It doesn't happen very often. And what we want to see is this yield curve kind of bend to a more normal level. And that means that short-term rates are lower, long-term rates are higher. And this should make sense to the average person just saying, okay, well, if I gave you a 30-year loan versus a one-year loan, your chances of getting paid back on a 30-year loan are, are lower than a one-year loan. So therefore, in a normal economic environment, you'd see this yield curve you know, it, you know, kind of curving upward, if you will. And right now, it's, it's inverted. So an inverted yield curve is, is almost always a recessionary indicator. Uh, but the key there is that how long the yield curve stays inverted. So I think right now the the Fed is concerned that this inverted yield curve is going to put us into recession if history is any sort of indicator. So I, th- I think that we're going to see interest rates decrease. That's usually stimulative toward the economy uh, and inflation still well contained. So, uh, you know, there's some room to decrease the interest rates here. We don't really need to, but I think the yield curve worries are are driving this so that's probably for me the number one driver of of equity returns for 2019 and then secondarily you know the the, the trade war whether it escalates or whether we work out a deal with china that's pretty key uh as well although some of that's been baked into the economy now so but that that would be a a nice thing to see happen um and that would likely uh you know be an upside surprise if we got a trade deal with them all right do you want to speak just briefly to what you and keith will be doing here momentarily Yeah. So um, we're also doing a YouTube live uh, and Facebook live where we go through this and we'll go through a couple of the slides and we'll also uh, leave all the slides for anyone to peruse as well. It's this JP Morgan uh, chart pack that we really like to use. Uh, It just provides a ton of data and you can dig through it as a consumer if you'd like. It's all uh, consumer approved and you can check it out at your leisure.
2: Or as Keith would say, leisure. (laughs) All right, and that's a good lead into Keith. He'll be next in the booth. So thank you, Clint, for your thoughts. You're welcome. All right, continuing on with our recap of 19 and and, uh, forward look into the second half of 19. We now have Keith in the booth discussing international markets. Uh, Keith's our... uh, International uh, expert, if you will, and uh, lived abroad and spent uh, time in um, multiple European countries, and so we uh, we lean on him when it comes to um, just kind of getting a better feel for what's going on across the pond, as they say. Do they say that in Europe? Yeah, Do yeah. they they say across the pond across that's the acceptable. Pond. Uh, it's it's acceptable. the vernacular the that they're okay and, with.
4: Yeah, and then you know across the channel, if you're speaking from oh sure England to oh Europe sure. And, I don't know if they say that in Asia. Or oh or. yeah. You know, we always think of across the pond going to Europe, and right? Never to Asia.
2: Yeah. I also and we're gonna we are going we can not get off track because we we're in a time crunch. However, uh, my kid there's there's another ocean. Are you aware of this? They created another ocean since we've been in college. You're kidding. No, I'm I'm dead serious. It's called the Southern Ocean. It's a thing. Yeah, where did they, I, what, what ocean? It's like, lost uh, the like ocean. Uh, Pacific, uh, Indian. I think kind of, kind of okay. in that area, down in the Australia area. I believe they call it the Southern Ocean. Now, how, do you ever wonder how they define? You know, no, but I don't like the fact that they can just create stuff like that. They just, they just. It's not as though there's more water or more space. They yeah. just created another ocean. Well, or
4: maybe they discovered something. You never know. More Earth. Well, but maybe how they define it is based on trenches or underwater. Oh, I suppose, sure. patterns or something like that, and they discovered. I'm sure we have probably some university expert who listens to our podcast.
2: We'll we'll bring that as a full. That seems like a full-throated podcast idea that we'll need to. If you are that
4: expert of oceanic (laughs) studies, uh, listening to our podcast, please uh, you know send us an email. Please hit us up. Yeah, and we'll we'd love to have you on because we have lots of questions. All right, we digress. Uh, Keith, give us a recap of
2: the international markets first half of nineteen and uh, kind of what what all happened in the uh, uh, primarily Europe, but uh, but uh, you know also uh, you know the remaining countries across the globe.
4: Yeah. So in in nineteen, uh, you know the U.S. in the first half has been the big winner. But uh, Europe has not been too far behind. They're up about 18.1% in local currency terms so far this year. I think a big part of that took, uh, you know, a big part of it was in the first uh, part of the year as markets, I think, uh, you know, sold off rather aggressively at the end of of 2018. And so they recovered. And they recovered fairly strongly, right? Uh, And so that's been a a good trend. And that likewise, uh, you know... uh, Asian markets, except for Japan, are up about 11% year to date in local currency terms. And then Japan is still, you know, it's the the trailing number, but it's still up uh, about 5.2% in local currency terms. Emerging markets are up about 10%. And all of those markets were big negatives last year. EM was down about 10%. Europe, except for the UK, was down 10.6%. Uh, Asia, 12%, etc. So I think the first part of the year was really pressed by uh, a recovery from, from last year. And then the various central banks have made noises similar to the U.S. Uh, Mario Draghi in the European Union uh, at the ECB said essentially, um, you know, we're, we're seeing some slowdown here. Trade has been affected. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about here is U.S.-China trade talks, which have shaped uh, world markets quite a bit. Uh, trade has been uh, affected. Brexit, another thing that we've talked about in the past, we've written blogs about, um, and we'll probably be talking about more in the future. Uh, Brexit has you know, slowed thing down, th- things down. And so basically Mario Draghi said, hey, don't worry about it. We've got plenty of ammunition if markets slow down to cut interest rates. If we need to go to, back to QE2 or QE3, quantity, quantitative easing, uh, we have that kind of capacity, so I think that also added some boost. And really, you know, what we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, markets are being driven by the fact that you can't get return, especially in the European Union, uh, if you're not taking some risk. Risk-free rate of return right now, um, very close to zero on Treasuries. Germany is is slightly negative. Uh, a lot of our clients with uh, assets in euros hold them at uh, interactive brokers. Interactive brokers, if you are have a deposit in euros that's too big, will actually charge a negative interest rate. So all of these things are pushing people to say, oh, well, you know, equities are still the only game in town. Yep. And, you know, these are they were, I think, undervalued at the beginning of the year.
2: Sure. And the percentages that uh, that Keith was giving you before, that's in the J.P. Morgan slide deck that that he and Clint will be going through in more detail um, in the YouTube uh, live and the Facebook live as well. So tune into that if you want to get even more information about those uh, specifics or if you want to see kind of how all of that lays out. Um ton of news about Theresa May ton of news about um kind of just the the upheaval i mean us is always somewhat uh in, intrigued and enthralled if you will by um you know the europeans whether it be the the you know the royal family or whether it be um you know the government that exists. Uh, you know again across the pond. Speak just briefly to your thoughts on the Theresa May, uh, you know hubbub that's going on.
4: Yeah. So there there are a number of things. Theresa May was in a very difficult situation. She didn't want Brexit. Uh, she was a pro Remain person, and then she was put in charge uh, of negotiating Brexit. Right. And she tried to do her best, but she just never had. The authority, um, you know, and she was opposed by uh, Jeremy Corbyn, who was not is not of the more centrist part of the Labor Party in the UK and the conservatives, obviously, to the right, the Labor Party, a little bit to the left. And, you know, so there wasn't she didn't ever build a coalition of the sort of middle, we'll say two thirds of the country. Uh, Numbers are about 30% want a no-deal Brexit. That would get behind the deal she sort of negotiated. Um, And right now the understanding is that, you know, uh, Boris Johnson is likely to be the prime minister. I don't know that he's going to be able to do a better job of bringing in a labor coalition. The understanding is that, um, you know, there isn't really uh, the possibility of, no deal dexit, uh, Brexit happening a, as it stands. Uh, there's kind of an October 31st deadline. They've moved the deadlines. They've kind of kept you know pushing things back. It feels very much like me writing a term paper in college <laughs> until um, it gets real. It's not yeah, real. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of this back and forth. I really think um, the problem is you know labor right now doesn't have enough strength to take over the go- government. Uh, There's not the will from someone like Boris Johnson, who is very, very, very much pro-Brexit and would actually be a pro-no-deal Brexit guy, uh, to rerun the referendum. Because in all likelihood, uh, the vote would go against Brexit, I think, if it were held today. Um, So there's this sort of rock in a hard place, kicking the can down the road. And so while the leadership has changed, I don't foresee... Boris Johnson being successful in in creating a coalition to to get a deal through. Uh, I don't see him being successful terribly at negotiating a deal with Brexit. But, you know, it's one of those situations where uh, essentially Theresa May found herself kind of trapped and stepped out. And I don't know if there's any real good solution. So it may just continue to be kicked down the road. Yep. All right, well, let's
2: circle back um, as we get closer to, to October 31st, and, and we can maybe speak yep. more on that because obviously we'll have a. Well, Well, I say obviously we'll have more clarity. I, I don't know. <laughs> who knows whether that's, it's, the, it's that's the case a, or not? Been a muddle for a while, yeah. Yeah. So let, we have about 30 seconds left. Let's talk briefly about China and the trade deal. Um, you know, how much is that weighing on international markets?
4: Uh, you know, so over the last. Uh, Couple of months when the you know China stepped away from the table, the U.S. threatened uh, tariffs and then stepped back. Uh, you know these are major relationships in the world, and it's not just for the U.S. Right? Uh, you know products move through the U.S. to China, products move through China to the U.S. Depending on you know the company and so on. You know these are things that affect everybody, and so. Anytime there's talk of tariffs, the market isn't going to like it. Um, we've moved into a point where now they've reopened the negotiations. Do I think we're going to have a deal by the end of 2019? No. I think really, the the best thing that can happen is more talking. More talking. Yeah. And because you know the the two sides are very far apart. Yeah. Um, and so you know what what we need to avoid is is sort of brinkmanship. And patience, Um, you know, there are certain situations where the U.S. is trying in these negotiations to make China change their national laws. Um, And China doesn't like being told what to do. Sure. I mean, like your teenagers i i suppose um but they're also you know they're a sovereign state they're a a world power and so having the u.s come in and bluster and tell them what to do isn't appreciated and then the other thing you have to remember is you know the time frame for the u.s and we're going to be talking about politics uh soon uh, toward the end the time frame frame for the u.s is a little bit governed by the 2020 election right whereas china their timeline is is much much longer Yep so they can afford to play a little longer game and and so they don't and potentially play into that yep. play
2: into knowing that that yep. 2020 is kind of a deadline for us and it isn't for them yep. so so
4: i think you know the best thing is, that can happen is just more talking and yep. nobody nobody walks away and blows up and and that you know, this is diplomacy. It takes a long time.
2: Well, we appreciate your thoughts on that. Obviously, we'll circle back and have more conversations about this uh, as the uh, weeks and and months go by. Indeed, I was, Um, you know,
4: preparing for this podcast today. And I think, you know, in the next couple of weeks, uh, these trade talks are good good blog post topics. So look for a blog post over there. We'll
2: have more information on that as well. Thanks so much for your thoughts, Keith. Next up will be Mitch, and we'll be talking about domestic legislative topics. Welcome to the booth, Mitch. We uh, have legislative topics on our agenda, and um, I don't know if you'd say that we're excited to talk about this. I don't know that it's necessarily the the most favorite topic of uh, of people with the uh, uh, kind of at-the-throat uh, uh,
0: brinksmanship type politics we have right now, but it's, it's what we're going to talk about. I'm excited about it because some of the, the bills that are sitting in Congress right now could have huge ramifications for our clients. Yeah. And it's actually something too that, and we can talk about which which bills are actually sitting there, but it's something that we've been tracking for a while, ever since I really came into the firm at Walkner Condit. So we've been tracking this for a while, and I mean, I'm excited about it. Well, in, in the one that you're alluding to,
2: um, I'm not sure that, that most people are aware of what it is called the SECURE Act. Um, uh, you know, there, there's there's nothing that, uh, that that Washington likes more than to create acronyms. So it's an acronym, and and just understand that it has impact. Um, that is that is far reaching. Um, now again, it's not past. We're uh, we're kind of you know watching it as it works its way through. But why don't you give the the listeners just a little bit of a recap on what the Secure Act
0: is? Yeah, and and by the way, speaking of the acronym, I really tried to memorize what Secure actually stands for, but I had to, to jot it down here because what it actually stands for is setting every community up for retirement, secure. And uh, yeah, so I, I've tried to memorize this on my own, and I and I can't and. There's, that is the, the bill I was referring to. And then another one that, that we've been kind of keeping our eye on is RESA. That's R-E-S-A, and that's the Retirement Enhancement and Savings Act. And now one of them originated in the House, one originated in the Senate. Now, the SECURE Act has made its way overwhelmingly through the House back in May. And there was a 417 to 3 vote. People said, oh, it's going to only be a couple of weeks in the Senate, and then by 4th of July, you know, this thing very well could potentially be signed into law. Well, as we know, 4th of July is coming on, gone, and it's still sitting in Senate, and some of the, the highlights that are actually going to impact, or could, if it gets signed into law, that, that could impact clients are MDs. So, required minimum distribution for those that have IRAs that are over the age of 70 and a half, the IRS says that you have to take distributions out so then they can get a cut from, from a tax perspective. And every year, then you're required to take a certain amount out from your IRA. That age could be pushed to 72. So that's one thing that'll definitely impact clients. Now, part of that with, with the delay of, of uh, another year and a half of collecting that additional tax revenue is around inherited IRAs. So some people might have heard of a stretch IRA when it comes to estate planning strategies. And and what that means, basically, is that for some people that are passing on some of their assets to might be spouse, children, grandchildren, basically in a stretch IRA, you're allowed to give it on to, let's say, a grandchild, and they're able then to take those RMDs that, that I mentioned that are forced out throughout their lifespan. So it actually, it kind of continues to delay some of the the required minimum distributions that is taken out. And that'll be that'll be a huge piece of the legislation that could be changed and we might not be seeing that anymore, quite frankly.
2: Right. I think the, um, again, it's, this is all, you know, all in, in negotiations right now. So this could change 10 times before it, uh, before it becomes law, even if it does become law. But as of right now, or at least the last we heard, it looked like they were going to require that IRAs be distributed over a 10-year period of time um, once they are, um, you know, passed to the to the next generation. <laughs> Which currently it could be several decades. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if an IRA got passed down to, to somebody who's 25, for example, their life expectancy, you know, is, uh, you could be working off of a 50-year, 60-year time frame. Now they're talking about, you know, shortening that down. So this can have implications to, Um, Estate planning to uh, beneficiary designation to um, just overall planning in general of of how these assets should be handled. So, like anything that we get from Washington, you know, we get a uh, likely we get a dose of good along with a dose of bad, and, and unfortunately, the dose of bad. In this scenario, would be the uh, more or less the elimination of the stretch, stretch provision, uh, but the good that we get is is bumping the uh, RMD age from seventy and a half to seventy two, which uh, just from a cleanliness standpoint is better. Anyways, the, the half is always Something a little bit. The half is always confusing. Yeah, I, I researched it one time because I, I got curious enough to look into it, and it goes all the way back to um, life insurance. Um, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, life expectancies is basically what it kind of goes like back actuarial to tables actuarial things. tables and yeah. things like that. And so, you know, in, in that level of, of, uh, of math world, they don't care that it's a half. I mean, you know, that, that doesn't bother them, whereas the the practical person, the half is just kind of annoying. So uh, we'll and, see where that goes.
0: Yeah, and some of the other things, too, when it's related to IRAs is age cap on con- contributions. So that 70 and a half number, you know, you can't contribute after that to an IRA, for example. And that's something that could change under the legislation. Another big one around 401k plans is the annuitization of your assets upon retirement. Now, this is something that a lot of people think actually could favor insurance companies. And it's basically where once you retire, let's say, and you're going to annuitize that that amount that's in your, your account balance into some sort of monthly stream of income. Because right now, people might just see an account balance, and they may inappropriately think that they 're covered for the rest of their life just because they see this large number right and, oh, I got a nest egg, but actually seeing what it means in monthly income, there might be some changes there, even just the way that that it appears on statements and that that's part of the change that, that is proposed in the secure act as well yeah
2: we're seeing a push definitely overall um, from the from the legislative um, you know bodies that exist right now of wanting and desiring more disclosure, more. Um, clarity, uh, especially surrounding retirement accounts and four hundred one k s, four hundred three b s, accounts like that. So, um, anticipate seeing more of that, and you've already seen some of those changes um, as as of now. As we've uh, uh, seen, you know, fee disclosures gotten much more prevalent, and and uh, and that's likely to continue as well. So, um, one last topic before we leave, Mitch, I'd I'd like you to speak to. Um, can you see anything that's potentially um, kind of floating around out there by way of legislation that that uh, maybe isn't. Um, I don't know if these are necessarily grabbing headlines as of yet, as it is. But um, do you get do you get any sense that there's something else brewing, or is it just that the the gridlock of Washington with uh, the political system the way it is right now uh, is just is, is going to make it hard for something to come through?
0: Yeah, there there are some things that are coming up that might make it hard to to go through, and and. I talked about SECURE Act and RESA, and RESA is actually something that is pretty much stalled currently. And then, like I said at the beginning, the difference is just one originated in the House, one is in the Senate. They have a lot of the same content. So let's say the SECURE Act, there are changes that are made. Let's say it actually goes to the floor and is debated in the Senate, and let's say changes are made. Then it's going to have to go back to the House and get approved there. So. You know, then it's the discussion of well, does does RECIC come back? But it, it seems, in my opinion, that it, that's kind of floored for now because there's a lot of overlap between the two. Or but the I'll, bills could get combined potentially. They kind of are already. Sure. Quite frankly, yeah. I mean, one of the only differences that I'm aware of, one of the main ones, at least, is is opinions around 529 treatment, and then also college savings plans. Yeah, exactly. What what they can actually be used for, and then also something called a universal savings account, and there's even separate bills that are still kind of floating out there around a universal savings account, which is just a little less limiting than what it can be used for than an IRA, for example. But then there's budgets that need to be passed, right? Mm-hmm. That could very well get in the way. And of, oh, by the way, we have an election coming oh, up. Oh, by the way, right, holy cow, sure, right. we're halfway through 2019 and 2020 is around the right. corner. So those are two of the big things that could be roadblocks. And as we know, the longer these things sit, you know, it seems like the less likely they are to get passed, even though every indication... Two months ago was that? Oh, this thing flew through the house. Yep. It's going to fly through the Senate. The president's going to sign into law, even though there's really been no formal stance on it. But we shall see. I mean, there are yeah. some roadblocks. There are some things that could distract Congress from from getting this through, even though it, it was just completely overwhelming through the House. So well, that, that's my
2: thought on that. <laughs> for us, it gives us good fodder for for the remainder of 2019 uh, to be able to come back and speak to this again. These are exciting changes. These are impactful changes. This is this is the. The stuff that does get us somewhat excited because it does have um an impact on what we do every day so mitch we appreciate your thoughts on that um and we will look to hear more um you know in the the remainder of 19. all right we now welcome john jordan into the booth to talk about politics you like politics you like talking about politics
5: uh, not not at uh dinner parties <laughs> Or around family family. function. I really don't want to talk about it, but uh, my clients like to ask, uh, pick my brain, ask what my thoughts are. And yeah. I, I never have a problem giving them, uh, you know, a guess because that's pretty much when it comes down to it, oftentimes what it
2: is. That's what we all have, right, when it comes to political uh, political prognostications. All right, let's jump into this. So you're the, the last one to go here, so we'll end on a bang. Um, obviously, presidential election is coming up. I mean, do you, in your mind... Do you think that the presidential election, being that it's 17 months away, is having an effect on markets, financial, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, market returns, even in uh, um, corporate earnings, things like that? Or do you think it's just a, it, it's media fodder right now and it's not really having an actual impact?
5: Well, my, my personal opinion, and, and oftentimes, uh, you know, it, you read and you you digest information. It's easy to see that there are things going on, and, and the media will tell you. But my personal opinion is is that right now it's too early in the game. We you know we have twenty candidates for a Democratic Party, which went down to nineteen yesterday when um, Eric Swalwell dropped out of the race. But it went back up to twenty today when Tom Steyer entered his name into that. Oh, he did. He did. Oh, yeah, he's a billionaire hedge fund manager from uh, Farallon Capital. Uh, but he's a staunchly anti-Trump um uh man and and he's thrown his his name in there and has pledged to spend 100 million dollars on the campaign so of his own money good thing there's no money in politics yeah. <laughs> but it's going to be difficult because many of the people that he's running up against are are out there raising raising money and it's a crowded field right now so it's it's with the way that it is with Joe Biden um Kamala Harris uh you know you see Elizabeth Warren Cory Booker there's a lot of uh, names out there, and then uh, uh, there's people that stepped up in the debates that uh, that are getting a little bit more publicity now. But it's really media-driven, and, and ultimately, until that whittles down and you start to see which direction the Democrats are going to go, are they going to go really with the far left, which there's been a lot of, um, whether it's socialist uh, you know, uh, candidates that have been you know, in the Congress, much covered in the media, the uh, AOC, as they call her,
2: well you you're even seeing a little political rift right now between Nancy Pelosi and and uh, I was seeing some of the younger uh, um you know congressional uh viewpoints if you will.
5: Yeah, there there has been a rift in fact uh, even uh, yesterday I mean she uh, Nancy Pelosi um, had been chirping is the word that I'd use towards <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> some, some on the far left uh some of the freshmen uh congress uh congressmen and women that were that have basically been trying to to really push the party to the left, and I think what it, and what ends up happening is it's very difficult to win a general election, without, you know, with with a with a somebody that's on either the far right or the far left. You, you you almost have to find someone who can bring the swing voters, the independents, and the moderates in. So now, what does that mean for the stock market? You know, this is not an election year. Next year is the election year. Right. So when you go back and you look at history, there have been 21 elections since 1928. And in those 21 years, there's only been four down years. Oh, interesting. So if you look at, at, at election years, and if you were talking to an advisor that was looking for patterns, they would say, well, there's a pattern during the election year, there tends to be uh, returns in the stock market and sometimes very strong returns because it's an election year. But one of the things I want to caution, and I believe that is, is prudent, is that only holds up if the pattern holds up. Yeah, right. So by, by investing, that, that, that it's, it's like the pattern that we saw recently here with uh, sell in May and go away. So I remember talking to some clients, and we've had a good start to the year with the S&P 500. The economy has been growing, and you know, the sell in May and go away question popped up and I said, well, we, we, this is long-term investments and I know that there's been history that's shown that June could be a bad month for the markets, but we just experienced the best June in 80 years. And so that's why, you know, when we talk to our clients about looking for these patterns, um, cause, uh, co- correlation does not equal causation. Sure. So just because something can be correlated and you can see it doesn't mean that it's caused by something else. So I think with the, the politics going into next year, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, and it's going to be something that people are, it's going to be covered in the media. I believe it's going to be very anti-Trump. The media does tend to be more liberal. And, and from our standpoint, you know, we don't take a position on, on one side or the other politically here at Walkner Condon. But, you know, we're happy to give our thoughts and our assessment of what we see out there and, and kind of, you know, play you know, Monday morning quarterback when we see how things are covered. It didn't really work well with the negative media coverage for Trump uh, when the election last time because he ended up winning. So,
2: well, and I think let, let's let's go a little further than that. Um, just gridlock in general, right? I mean, there's a fair amount of gridlock in Washington right now. Why why do the markets like gridlock? I mean, why why is there comfort there for the markets when there's gridlock?
5: Well, when there's gridlock, there's not going to be one thing pushing uh, policy completely in one direction. Or or or, or and so ultimately, what they want to see is is some sort of, some sense of uh, of clarity and calmness to what's going to happen with the markets, and that's why when the Federal Reserve makes moves, you can see the markets respond so quickly to it because it's going one direction or other. It's almost indicating which where they're going to go, even though it's been natural to have the Federal Reserve raising or lowering interest rates uh, based on how inflation's going and how the economy's going. Uh, right now, the economy is strong, and here we have political gridlock, and people say it's the worst it's ever been. And you know, I've never seen America so divided, except for the fact that we did have a civil war. And we also, you know, can look back even at the election in 1992. Uh, they asked uh, one of one of the advisors for Bill Clinton, who ended up beating George H. W. Bush, uh, a year after he was he was. Uh, you know, they had a 90% polling of approval rating for him after the invasion of Kuwait, and when we went over and liberated Kuwait a year later he lost the election and when they asked James Carville, he famously said, it's the economy, stupid. Right. So, and here we are, we're in another election cycle, there's a lot of things being talked about. Immigration, very important topic, especially it does have to do with our economy, but immigration, abortion, any of these real touchy... Trade deals, yeah, trade deals tariffs. Very touchy things that people take very personal opinions on, but when it comes down to it, people vote based on the economy more often than not, the, gen- the general population and and the economy is growing very strongly, and so that that does you know you look at Wall Street, seventy percent of Wall Street back in April, um, in a CNBC pulled seventy seventy percent of the Wall Street uh, insiders and and leaders of, of, of businesses there uh, believe that Donald Trump's going to be re- reelected based on what the market's doing. So that that was interesting tidbit as I as I you know was looking into research for this podcast and, and kind of where you know, put your, you know, ear to the railroad track or, your, you know, you just want to get an idea of what the pulse is of, of right. in Wall Street. Um, but that means 30 percent think he's not going to be reelected. And, and none of that means anything at the end of the day, because 78, 80 percent of Wall Street believe that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And that was why the night that Trump won, you saw it dump off almost a thousand points just just the night of the election. Right. Only to recover back the very next day when everybody realized that the sky isn't falling. And you know that that there's there's changes in power, there's changes in in, uh, in especially in the presidency. So
2: well, I think that's a great point you bring up on the on the Clinton Bush, um, the Elder Bush election because I I kind of harken back to that myself because I, I distinctly remember um, you know when he was two and a half years into his first term uh, and and it was he was a shoo-in. I mean it was, it was no question he was going to get reelected, and then lo and behold, eighteen months later. Uh, he he uh, lost, and the main reason for that. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, people can say that uh, obviously Bill Clinton as a candidate had a lot to do with it. Yes, but I don't believe at all, and I, I think most people would agree that that would not have happened had the economy held together. I think it was driven in the in the in the 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 impetus for that was the economy sliding.
5: There is, and they ran they ran a candidate that could reach out to moderates, and if people remember, I mean, he ran as a yeah
2: absolutely as a
5: moderate. Democrat and in many ways governed as a moderate Democrat. Now, all the other issues aside with things that happened during his presidency and re-election, you know, Bill Clinton, um, he he was able to reach out and be likable to other people, which unfortunately for Hillary Clinton when she ran, that was one of the reasons why she had a hard time getting elected is because she was on the other side of that likability factor, which I think is unfortunate because, you know, she's a brilliant woman and has done a lot and served in a lot of roles. As had George H. W. Bush, a CIA right. director and a veteran and um, vice president. I believe he served in Congress. So this, there's a man who was well decorated, but he also was a one-term president. And I, and many of you who are listening out there, people take these very personal. Like I said, these are just we're just commenting on this. There's no personal. I beliefs of where we like or who or who we like. This is just kind of the way it is. And us us, you know, just having a conversation about to share with you how we see things. But very rarely do we see one term presidents, especially when the economy is doing well. So when they when they run, you know, Trump has a base. He also has a base of people who do not like him. Mm-hmm. But the way that the system works here with our Electoral College and the states that he was able to win to win the presidency. Are, those states are doing well right now, when, right. you know, in many, many ways, no matter how the the, the spin comes out about how bad things are, those those states in many ways are doing well. And it's gonna be a difficult path for the Democrats to win based on the economy, right now. Now, if things are to change, and the economy moves in cycles, if things are to change, the winds could change quickly, as it did for George H.W. Bush. And he was a very likable man. Donald Trump has a lot of unlikable characteristics. He's, a, he's a, the tweeter in chief, he says things that are controversial, he says things that are outright mean. So there are things that that could be turned against him if the economy is doing poorly, and it could be a landslide. But one of the key things that's going to have to happen for the Democrats is they're going to have to offer real solutions and run a candidate that can passionately get that message out, right? And have people believe that they can actually affect change. So he or she, uh, the, the, based on you know where we're currently at right now, um, he or she could could be far left. They could be more socialist. It could be Bernie Sanders um or elizabeth warren but you can see people are already starting to move to the middle in in some areas and and then in other situations they're moving far left their polling numbers are dropping but there is there's a shift going on with millennials with the younger generation here towards uh towards some of these more far far left um politicians that, that are out there
2: so well and there's a lot more to come and that's that's what uh What's I, It's not exciting, necessarily. I don't know that we necessarily look at it that way, but it's, it's intriguing, I guess, is probably the right word to use. And we'll circle back on this topic, uh, I'm, I'm sure, a handful of times before the actual election itself, and we'll see kind of how things unfold, but we wanted to present it today as a way to be able to just kind of speak to, you know, we are within kind of shouting distance, if you will, of that presidential election and how that actually impacts the markets. Uh, So we will be circling back on this topic, as well as the legislative topic that we talked about with Mitch, the domestic markets with Clinton, the international markets with Keith. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this uh, first half recap and um, somewhat of a prognostication of the remainder of 19. Uh, We'll be back with a topic real soon.
1: Gotta leave your money behind you, raise your hand to the sky, ask the masses for silence, look them dead in the eye. Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. SEC registered investment advisor. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, Mitch Dewitt, and Keith Boniwas are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not provide any advice that is investment related. Nor should any comments that guests make be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned, or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors LLC is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does. Fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see WalknerCondon.com for additional disclosures.